Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Shakisha and the White Boy. I am your host, Ryan, the White Boy Dinger. And I am here right now with the real reason that you listen to this show, folks. Of course, I'm referring to my all-around badass of a co-host, Mrs. Shakisha Williams. Shakisha, how are you? It's good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. Can you hear background noise on my feed right Not now? Not at all. Just oh, you okay. being beautiful. Because my neighbors, oh, thank you so much. My neighbors are having a little bit of a party outside of the window right now. And there's really not anything I can do about it, but I can hear like reggaeton going off right now. And I was like, well, I guess that might be on the show. It's going to be a party, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad that you can't hear it. I guess it's only uh, in my head for now, but maybe they'll turn it up at some point and we'll be able to get a little reggaeton on the feed. So how are you? It's Birthday turn up month. We haven't talked about it yet. We've done a few episodes. I it's been know. ongoing because oh, the, the day itself is this week. I know. But yes. how how are you doing? You know, you're are you in the the birthday glow or what's going on? So uh, something is very specific is happening to me right now. I think mainly because of I don't know if it's age transition. I don't know if it's um just one of those things that happen. What do they call it? Um a season effective yeah yeah uh, like uh, seasonal depression depression yeah. right i don't know what it is but i know that i haven't been feeling like myself um mm. what i will say is it's a good time to reflect yeah what i what i intend on doing beginning tomorrow and give myself today to you know get have the birthday blues um but starting tomorrow one of the things that i am really bad at is the in-between time. Like I go from doing like absolutely nothing, being stuck in nothing to a thousand percent like driven. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm always ambitious. I always have a drive, but there's this thing that happens when I'm just on and I have to get used to the times when it's quiet to build, to read, study, prepare. There was something that you and I had discussed that I absolutely can be working on in the midst of all of whatever I'm, I'm going through right now. Um, and I'm only sharing because I know a lot of us, whether it's, you know, having lost a job due to the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, going into a new situation with relationships or losing a situation with a relationship, we all face like something that can put us kind of in a, in a bad space mentally yeah. or feeling a bit down and dep- it, it doesn't even have to be a big thing. Sometimes it's just, you get in your head and you start thinking about where you want to be, what you want to do, how you want life to proceed. And you just get into that space. So I'm shouting myself out on it. You know, hopefully if you're watching this on YouTube, you could tell us about what you do when you get the the blues or when you're down. Um, Depression is nothing to play with. It's treatable. It's actionable. It can be, you know, something as simple as your metabolism is not, calibrate it correctly it could be a lot of things and for a lot of us who suffer including myself suffer with depression you know we have to we have to say it out loud Mm -hmm. and own it um because it can get the better of you if you don't so this is my way of owning it telling the viewers telling the listeners about what I've gone through and what I continue to fight for which is my life and everything on the other side of it including the show yeah my company my uh, presence in this world. And, you know, it's not just about being a podcast host or a filmmaker or mom or wife. It's literally about what my space in this 
universe means. So yeah, that's what I'm, that's what this birthday, but you and I have, we'll make plans to get together. Cause yeah, we, we haven't met up in a minute. So I know it's been, I'm looking forward to that. Myself. I almost feel like we need to make a documentary about a reunion or something when we are finally <laughs> able to do it. Cause it's been so long. It's been since the lockdown. We haven't seen one another. Oh, no, for real. Crazy. You Absolutely. know, so thank you for sharing that. First of all, um, you know, birthdays can definitely trigger that uh, for people. I feel like, you know, it is a time to reflect. And sometimes if things and and like you said, it doesn't even have to be a, a big thing. Sometimes it can just be this one weird thing that's off or not even off, just something that happens that sort of puts you in to that place. Um, and what I was going to suggest is so is your birthday Monday or Tuesday? My birthday is uh, the same day the podcast comes out Monday. So it's, it's so actually, as people listen it's to this, it's your birthday. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I was gonna suggest was, how about we ask people if you're listening to this right now, tag us on Facebook or on Instagram. You can tag us on Twitter, even on YouTube. Shout us out. And and I was gonna say wish Shakisha a happy birthday, but how about because I liked what you said. If you're watching on YouTube or you're just listening, how about how you deal with depression when you're you know when you're going through that like maybe share a tip for how you sort of come back from those places because you know I think what what has been nice about the time that we live in is that we're realizing we need to talk about these things more right and I think that that has helped us me at least understand you know a lot of people go through this stuff it's not as rare as it is often portrayed to be right I, I know I suffer from depressive states and I uh, can be quite anxious at times. So if you are out there and you ever go through these things, how about sharing for us a tip for coming back from depression or something that you like to do that helps you get beyond that and keep pushing forward? Because you know what, it's even better than a birthday wish, I think, because it's like, well, here's a piece of me and maybe this will help you. So that's uh, how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So uh, folks, if you're, if you're out there and you're listening, please, Instagram, Facebook, tag us. We're on Twitter as well. Send us something, uh, and uh, you know maybe we can talk about some of this, some of the things that people send us next week if we get some good ones. But at the very least, maybe you'll get some fun things to read or, or good comments, Keisha. So absolutely, uh, I would love to wish you a happy birthday. I officially am going Thank to wish you a happy you. birthday tomorrow on the official yes. day. Because, you yes. know, that's that's how I roll. I don't like the like. <laughs> well, let me just cover myself and then I don't have to talk to you. It's on the day about me, so we'll talk Thank tomorrow. You. But We've got an awesome show today, and I'm really excited about it. We have a longtime friend of Shakisha's on the show. Uh, he is an actor and a producer. His name is Luis Martinez. It's crazy. I was reading through, you know, uh, we, we, we recorded the conversation uh, a few days, you know, a, a few weeks ago. But I was reading back through his IMDb and, and just looking at some of the stuff that he's done. And, like, you know, he starred alongside of Keanu Reeves, and he's been in Law and Order and Orange is the New Black. So he's done a lot of really cool stuff. And we had a chance to talk to him about how he got into acting and, you know, how creatives can sort of find the balance between managing their egos and using the ego when they need to. And uh, even about his new project, the Paris Film Company. So it was an mm-hmm. awesome conversation. I'm super excited to get into it. Me I'm too. Sure. But before we do that, of course, we have to start this show as we start every show. And that's what the segment we like to call WTF. WTF, we've got a little bit of a different spin on the segment today. We're actually going to be reacting to a social media post that a friend of mine sent to me this week. Now, folks, 
my friend uh, from when I grew up, actually, a guy I've known since uh, I was in high school sent this uh, post to me. And it was not something that he shared. It was something that he came across, I believe, on Instagram. Now, to protect the original poster, because I don't want to cause personal issues for this person. I've ta- I'm not going to mention who they are. I've taken their name out of the picture. But Shakisha, I sent you earlier an image. Yes. Let's take a look at it now. And I'll describe it for you. If you're not watching on YouTube, what we have here is a black and white photo of a um, segregation era water fountain. And of course, in that time, you know, water fountains came with signs above them that said whites may use this, that type of thing. I don't think this is real. Actually, it's just a black and white photo of a water fountain and they put a white may use this over it, perhaps. But anyway, what this person has done is taken the segregation era photo that we're all very familiar with and they've crossed out the word white and they've put in vaccinated to imply that now we're in an era where only vaccinated people are allowed to use the water fountains, making it akin to the segregation that Black Americans went through in the first half of the 20th century and you know, actually into the second half too. Uh, Shakisha, you've just seen this photo for the first time. Your reaction, please. So, privilege is a motherfucker. <laughs> Yes. So this is what, at the end of the day, I feel like is the problem with the vaccination, anti-vaccination movement. Mm. Folks feel that if I am asked to either be vaccinated or wear a mask, I'm still at the stage where if you're not going to vaccinate, take all precautions, limit your external um, interactions with the world, mm-hmm. take the COVID test periodically. I think it's every like other week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known people who were vaccinated and became ill with COVID, not to the point of being hospitalized, fortunately enough, but they still got it. Um, I was on a clubhouse and there was an, uh, a woman who's a director and she was talking about an actor that over and over again refused to take the COVID test um, and she refused to let him on her set. He finally conceded and he found out he had COVID. He tested positive. Oh, dear. The point of the matter is if you don't want to be vaccinated, then you are going to live in a world where people who are vaccination um, enthusiasts, I don't even call them enthusiasts, but people who are pro-vaccine are going to look at you crazy. And now, like I said, uh, we talked about it last week, uh, New York has a whole thing where you are not going to be allowed to go into restaurants, bars, Mm -hmm. public spaces without your vaccination card. So this is the world that you live in. Having the audacity to mimic Jim Crow era laws. Like right now, no one is forcing anyone to vaccinate. Mm -hmm. Subjugation under a Jim Crow era is not the same as asking people to get vaccinated. Yeah. And like I said, Privilege is a motherfucker. Like uh, Rick James, when he uh, 
rest his soul when he uh, did the Dave Chappelle, uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie Murphy's true Hollywood story. Yeah. He was recanting his whole stomping on the couch. And he yes. said, hey, yeah. is a motherfucker. No. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> privilege is a hell of a drug. <laughs> privilege is a hell of a drug. How dare you yeah. ask me to do any, why do I keep using it? And then the finger's broken here. How dare you <laughs> ask me to continuously you know, how dare you look out for other people's safety? How dare you um, ask me to be a good citizen and worry mm-hmm. about the public at large? How dare you? If we think about the world, how many billions of people live? Three, four billion people? Seven billion. That we're Holy up. shit. I'm yes. the, oh, my God. So seven people, seven billion people are yes. alive. But millions upon millions have passed away. So overall, if we're talking just numbers, like, you know, 100 years from now when the when the records and the history books are talking about it, it's going to be like, wow, that was a lot of people. But if I can prevent one life from being lost, man, and yes. I'm sorry I'm going on and on. No, I, I think it's well justified. Brian. Please continue. But if I could save a life, that means that I don't pick someone off. I'm not the butterfly effect. I'm not the thing that kills off the dinosaurs. Yes. I'm not the thing that causes millions of people to die. Because mm-hmm. I'm smart enough just to take care of me. The yeah. people who passed away had a lot of, whether it was COVID really got in there and they didn't know how to treat it or didn't even know what it was early on or, or whether it was somebody with a pre-existing condition. It's not just about you. <laughs> so get out of your head. Be a yeah. good citizen. What happened to good citizenship? And I feel like the things that I teach my my my, my youngest now, like, be good to people. Think about other people. Be a servant. Be of, no, I'm sorry, wrong words. Be of service to your community. Yeah. That's yeah. a way to be of service to your community. I'm going to stop because I want to hear your take and I could go on and on, which I, I am right now, but it's just pissing me off. As it should, as it should. Uh, and that was exactly the reaction that I won't say I hoped for because it's a despicable <laughs> thing i mean it's it's such you're a, a journalist you're sensational like, you're, you're bringing sensationalism to it but no like no yeah no. no it deserves a reaction for sure i i have two thoughts the first one was um when, you know, when my friend sent this to me my immediate reaction was like yep very normal and reasonable reaction there like that yeah that's just a normal thing for people to to think like that to make that leap from you know we need to take precautions so uh, if you don't want to get vaccinated, you, you're not going to be allowed in certain spaces to take to take the leap to this is the same as uh, Jim Crow era segregation in America is really just abs- just a completely normal way of thinking and not absolutely sensationalist at all. Uh, the second thing I thought is, you know, I always reflect on the episodes after we do them. Right. And after we did the vaccine episode last week. I actually, I won't say I have regrets about it, but I did think that we were pretty easy on anti-vaxxers for the most part. I thought we were more in the mode where we were trying to be inclusive and meet in the middle and, mm-hmm. you know, well, if you if you just go with love and you just, you know, keep having the conversations and all that, yeah. then, you know, that's how you're going to get through. Yeah, we were very, like, we were very easy going, not easy going, but we were very, we're, we were empathetic. Yes, yes. And, and I think intentionally so. And I and I don't have regrets about that. But I was like, you know, we did. They, they do sort of deserve to be grilled a little bit in some ways. And so I almost felt like it was fate that this photo came along to me this week. And I was like, well, we got to do this on WTF because I think it gives us at least an opportunity in a shorter segment, not an entire episode, but a shorter segment to roast, to, to, to roast a bit and to throw some mud and, and deservedly so like 
what the fuck are you thinking? I, I just, I don't understand the, the desire of certain people, mostly right-wing religious conservatives, but other white people too, to and be- some black, and some black. But, but in this instance, so what, what, it was definitely I mean, a white person. Oh, that was definitely a white person. This is, I, I know it was a white person. I know who posted it. Uh, and you, you, yes, you could tell before, but to be oppressed. There's this weird desire by white Christians in America to act as if they are oppressed on the same level as a black person in Jim Crow America or a black person in 21st century America, for that matter. And I don't understand this like urge to position yourself as if you were being subjugated or systemically, you know, discriminated against in the same way that black people have in the past or Jewish people have in the past, you know, because it is very much a white Christian thing right now. So yeah, I, I, and and it all, it all goes back to not having, we, I mean, I don't know how many episodes we've discussed this, but not having people having the, the inability for people to not want to open up their minds and see something from someone else's point of view. Um, I've worked with white people my entire life in corporate America. Mm -hmm. And very few have been willing to really get to know me as a person, get to know me as a human being. That segregation kind of like, I'll work with you. We can ride the trains together, but I don't ever want to really involve myself in your life. There are parts of America where you can walk you know, and go anywhere and not come across a black person or maybe one or yeah, two black definitely. people and not have to really have an interchange. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that so many people don't get a chance to talk to a black person before they do dumb shit or ask a black person or have a black uh, someone in their life who can be like, well, let me let me school you a little bit. How about this? No, fuck that. Fuck that. I'm going to say it just like fuck that. Open a fucking book. Listen to a fucking blog, read a, fu- a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Like it's, the information's out there. Yeah. For you to be uneducated is really right now not an excuse. It's mm-hmm. not an excuse. There are classes, there are books, there are people who are more than happy. It's not a black, it's not a black person's job to teach you. Now I'm on that shit. That fucked with me a little bit. No, fuck that. A black person shouldn't have to teach. Teach your motherfucking self. Sorry, this is an extreme episode of cursing. But fuck that. Teach yourself. Be more educated. Be more enlightened. Be better. Just shoot for be better. You're you're a dumbass. So what the fuck, Ryan? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? What the fuck, white America? We got to get together. Shakisha. Have you had a chance to take a breath here? And I, I, I think you were totally justified. You know, sometimes I, when, when I put the episodes up and our, with our distributor and, you know, I, we put it up on Anchor, uh, I do always mark it explicit. So uh, no worries on the cursing. We're allowed to get there. And this is an adult show. I believe we have had guests in the past even ask us, like, oh, am I allowed to curse? And be like, yeah. Fuck Hell you. yeah. Bring it. I mean, Wait, it has, you know, fucked that fucked with me. So yeah. that was a good WTF. I'm not sure if any other folks are like agree with me, but if you do feel free to like post your own comments um, and even your thoughts on, you know, the vaccine, 
the you know pro vaccine or anti vaccine movement um where you stand and how others around you have felt and what you've been able to educate them on yeah share it with us guys we'd love to hear it and let's change the vibe now we got to get back into the positive vibes we talked about doing that more in season two sometimes you deal with the fuckery though and we we laid it out we knew we were still going to have some fuckery and uh you know tom shows up tom foolery he just likes to hang out So let's get let's get the vibes back on the positive side of the spectrum. We got Luis Martinez with us. A conversation today that uh, we we recorded earlier. I really enjoyed it. I wanted to ask you though. One of the things that we didn't really talk about is you know Luis and and your relationship with him. I know he worked, of course, on my story, and we talk about that. But yeah. you guys, you know, how he was your idea for a guest. And real quickly before we get into the conversation, I just wanted to ask you how how that all came up. Um, well, first of all, Lewis is an amazing actor, amazing actor, um, and just a wonderful dude, like a really good, solid brother. I love the fact that everywhere he goes, he's super professional. We talked, we are, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but the one thing that I have to say about Lewis is he's so humble yeah. and such an, like, he's one of those honorable people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a lot of us out there who operate in that framework day in and day out. And that's who Lewis is. Day in and day out, he operates in this really honorable fashion. Laid back, amazing dude. He's funny. Mm -hmm. He's from uptown. What else can I say? We love him. Yeah, Bronx, New York. Yeah, Yeah. you know. So let's get into it. Now here's our conversation with Lewis Martinez. Tonight, we have a very special guest in the building. <laughs> um, I've known him since 20, like 15. So that's a good six years now. Um, and it's crazy because what I learned of him after I worked with him, like, he's a good dude. But like, if you're just talking professionally, his resume is crazy. So... I'm kind of fangirling a little bit here, just enough, nothing crazy. I'm not going to ask you to say my name so I can record it and add it for my, uh, you know, like my outgoing message or nothing crazy like that. <laughs> but the brother has absolutely, you know, as far as people who are killing it, you know, for the art and arting of the arting for the grind, this is the brother who actually does that. Louis Martinez in the building. Yeah. yeah. Welcome, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, man? Welcome How to the show. How are you? Man, thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, man, I really, really appreciate being on this platform, man. Thank you, Lou. Yeah, we're excited thank to have you. So yeah, yeah. Yep. So where do you want to begin, Shakisha? I love how you always do, you you do sort of hype up the guests, though, and I think it's good. Like, you want to have them feeling good and, and trusting us, of course, so that they, you know, they're as honest as can be with the questions, so. I'll be honest I with love you. How you like, people up. know when you blowing smoke up their ass. They yeah, do. no. It's not like they would know. They'd be like, Shakisha, what, what was that? I'd get the text <laughs> on the side. But 
they people also know when they work hard and when they you know deserve a little bit of and you get the oh shucks ma'am that's what you get when <laughs> yeah let me tell y'all Shakisha's Shakisha's wonderful at uh making people feel comfortable because I actually called her earlier and I was letting her know listen I got the, the butterflies in my stomach I know when I get nervous I start stuttering a lot so she made me feel right at home. And uh, yeah, man, she's great at what she does. So shout out to Shakisha. You know, that's actually a great a great place to start. Shout out to Shakisha. I love that. But it's funny that you say that you were a little nervous, Lewis, because like, you know, you've, you've done some stuff now at this point in your career. You've been in a lot of projects. You've been on camera. Mm-hmm. What do you think is different about this compared to like, you know, the work that you do in film? Or do you also get butterflies for that? Well, I think for me, uh, you know, growing up as a child, I was very, I was an introvert um, and I was very shy. You know, I was the uh, the product of being bullied and stuff like that. And so, you know, it was very hard for me to come out of my shell. Mm-hmm. So the arts is what kind of helped to give me a voice and, you know, be uh, uh, an artist, you know, just express myself and really just get off what was on my chest. And I would find that by channeling it through the, uh, the characters that I would play. And so, uh, you know, playing different roles kind of gave me the escape. But then when it was time to take the mask off and let just people interact with me, I, I would just always just get really nervous and, and shy and stuff like that. You you know, kind of like just self-conscious. Did I say this word correctly? How did I sound? You mm-hmm. know, just things like that. So. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. I was also a product of bullying and I think uh, a creativity, you know, I'm a musician, as I say on the show often. So creative outlets like this are, you know, were a good way for me to sort of come out of my shell. And, um, you know, but it's interesting, though, because I feel like uh, I've sort of gotten used to being in front of people now, like being on the podcast, being on stage. I'm kind of more like myself. So that's like an interesting sort of shift from like an actor's perspective to like a person who's more just like a personality. because when you're on camera playing a character, you're not really being yourself. So it feels like you're not really, you know, coming out of your shell, so to speak. Right, 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 right. D- definitely agree. I was actually watching something. <clears throat> it was, it was uh, probably like James Brown or someone prolific. And they said that they are, they feel most themselves when they're on that stage or in front right. of, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the theater. I think it, it may have been a theater actor that they are themselves when they're Mm. in front of an audience. So that is a very interesting juxtaposition of... It really is. But I am an extroverted introvert. So for me, it's super important for me to have the, like, the silence. So, like, I can be on, um, like, if I'm on a set, I can, you know, have a lot of energy, but I literally have to, like, cut it, like, block everything out um, in order for me to maintain it all. So, so yeah, so yeah, that is interesting. But I want to ask you, Luke, how long have you been doing this, man? How long have you been an actor and how, how did it all come to pass? Man, I've been in the, I've been acting now, I want to say about 25 years. So I, I started when I was about 13, 14. And how it actually started for me, uh, it was, um, I was coming home from school one day. I had some, you know, after school curricular activities. And as I was coming home, I was getting off at the train station in the Bronx where I, where I used to live at on Prospect Avenue. And um, I noticed that the exit that I normally get off that there was like this person standing there with like a radio headset directing people to go through the other exit. So we, we exit on the right side of the train station as I'm, and as I'm coming down, there's a set 
So I see these big old school 1970 buses. I see these <laughs> you know, beautiful black women with the froze and the, the bell bottoms and the platform shoes. Long behold, they were filming the movie Dead Presidents. Oh, so wow, okay. I was like, you know, I, I was just blown away by the set. And so I remember, uh, you know, meeting one of the, uh, the security guards who was there. And, um, you know, I was just asking him, you know, you know, what are you guys filming? And he said, we're filming this movie called Dead Presidents. I'm like, who's in it? So he mentioned Lorenz Tate. But at that time, I didn't know. I knew Lorenz Tate by face. I just didn't know him by his government. I just knew him as Old Dog because the movie that was that was the highlight of that that time frame was Menace to Society, which he did a phenomenal job in. So when he described Lorenz Tate as Old Dog, I, I flipped out. You know, I was like 11, 12 years old. I was like, oh, my God, he's, you know, Lorenz Tate is in my neighborhood and so and so and so and so. <laughs> so I told the bodyguard, I want to be an actor. And I swear to God, before that, I never I didn't even think about becoming an actor. So he kind of like said, oh, you want to be an actor? I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, all right, so stick around and I'm going to introduce you to some folks. So I was blessed at a young age to wow. meet uh, Lorenz Tate. I met Chris Tucker. And then at a certain point, he tells me, come with me. I'm going to introduce you to somebody. So there's a, the car, there's a car parked on the sidewalk. So we go in the car and I'm like, I'm like this little boy in the middle of the back seat. I got one bodyguard on my left side and another body or security guard on my right side. And the huge brothers step in the car and they're in the front seat. So they're they're having a conversation about the next scene that they're getting ready to do. Um, And they pull out a sketchboard where it's like a drawing of what the actual shot and a drawing of Lorenz Tate coming down the staircase. So one of the huge brothers stops and looks at me and goes, wait a minute, who's, who's this? So the security guard by the name of Dran Yar, he goes, oh, this is Lewis. He's with me. He wants to become an actor. So both of the huge brothers look at each other and they go, wait a minute, can we use him for something? <laughs> so I start, I start holding on to the edge of my seat going, oh my God, they're about to put me in a film. And one of the huge brother goes, Nah, man, we shot all the scenes with children already, so we don't have any other more scenes. But if you like, stick around because this is the best seat in the house for you to learn behind the scenes. Yeah. So make sure you stick around. Anything we're doing, come on board and just watch what's going on. And that's the best classroom you can be in. Mm-hmm. So the scene that they were talking about putting me in, I'm not sure, you know, for those who've seen the movie, the scene where uh, Chris Tucker and Lorenz Tate went to the hood after the bank robbery and they were handing out Christmas gifts to the children. That was the scene that they wanted to use me in, but unfortunately they had already shot that. But just to watch the preparation of what takes place behind the scene and engaging with the actors and just watching how they do that shift from who they are to the character, the preparation, and just bringing a story to life, that just intrigued me instantaneously. And I knew from that moment, that's what I want to do for my life, with my life. And so, you know, I guess like how Kobe Bryant looked up to like a Michael Jordan, that's kind of like how I, I've always viewed like Lorenz Tate. And it's been like a childhood <laughs> dream to rework with some of those people. So from that point on, it went into just me um, keeping my ears to the streets, doing like uh, local plays at the church around my neighborhood. Um, you know, going into like performing arts high schools and going into repertory companies. I went over to the uh, City Kids Foundation. Then from there, you know, of course, I went to high school for the performing arts, and then I went to college on a partial theater scholarship, and I've just been, you know, rocking and rolling since. So now that you've told your made-up story about how you got into acting, <laughs> tell us the real... 
<laughs> right? Like that that sounds like a movie itself too. It, 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 you, you might as well say that. Might yeah, as well do, you, say do that. you ever like stop and think about just like, it's crazy how just that moment, that coincidence can change a life, right? Like what if mm-hmm. you had been on a different train that day or just gone a different way? Like there's so many things Man. sort of conspiring coincidences or, you know, seemingly coincidences to sort of like put you in that place. You ever think about that? that like- Ryan, Ryan, that's a very great question that you asked because, you know, I, I try to keep a spiritual balance mm-hmm. and I and I definitely believe that a lot of the times, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And a lot of the times the things that we think are happening to us is actually happening for us. Mm-hmm. And so the backstory to that story was that I was I was getting bullied in middle school and my yeah. mother had put me in a martial arts class. And I was actually coming from uh, the martial arts class wow. at the time that they was filming. So had I never been bullied, had I never went to the martial arts class, nine times out of 10, I probably would not have ran into the set of Dead Presidents. Do you think if that hadn't happened, you still would have gotten in that? Obviously your life would be different, but do, do you think that you still would have come to it? Like, is it, you know, do you feel that it's like that burning inside you in that way that you would have found your way to it? You know, I, I, I'm really not sure because at you know at, at at that age, I really didn't know what I, what I wanted to do. But I just know that when when that moment happened, it just triggered something inside of me that it was like a burning desire. Like I couldn't sleep that night. I couldn't sleep, you know, for a while. I was like, yo, I want to be an actor, and this was this, I, and I chased it. And um, you know, nobody held my hand in this industry. It was a lot of bumps and bruises, trial and errors. My mother's from the Dominican Republic. My father's from Ecuador. I'm first generation. So it wasn't like what mm-hmm. I was doing. They viewed it as like, that's what he wants to do. They just thought it was like a hobby. Um, but going back to your initial question, I, I really don't know how to answer that. Maybe the universe would have aligned it in some way where if that did not happen, it may have been something else. But I do know that that, was the, that moment in time was the spark that just lit me up that said, yeah. that's what I want to go for. Yeah, I mean, it feels it feels beyond you know, this realm for sure. Like there were powers beyond all this, put that puts you there. And it's funny how like you can sort of go back and find these moments throughout your journey that are like seemingly coincidence, but then you, you see where you wind up and you're like, wow, like that completely changed my life. And it was just like getting off a train just like any other day, except, you know, obviously it wasn't another day. You know, what's cool about like that, that kind of thinking Ryan. Um, so recently I had, when I say big interview, it was huge. Um, it went to for two rounds. Um, it would have definitely been life changing on a whole lot of fronts, but yeah. then it just went like dead. And Dwayne, my husband had told me, he was like, look, whatever God wants for you, sometimes doors close and it looks like it's like the shift looks like it's like it's something you want, but the shift happens for a lot of reasons. Um, you'll still get to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And I was mad at him because I was like, but I wanted this job. I wasn't yeah. mad at him, but I just was like, dang it. I really, this would have been like a really big boon for me. Yeah, um, for sure. But here's the thing. Thinking about the conversations I had with the VP, thinking about the things we talked about, it would have taken me off of the other things that I have going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it really would have. It would yeah. have been a, a full scale thing for this company as opposed to me throwing all of that energy behind my company working with my people working with clients that I already have and Mm -hmm. growing Harlem Fusion in the way that I really want to go growing this podcast 
the way it just, you know, like it would have taken me out of a lot of elements. Yeah. So 100%, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I, 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 yeah, a paycheck is cool, but if yeah, I yeah. have the ability to continue to make money, pay my bills, take care of my family and still do what I love, then I count myself blessed. So I'm saying that, but deep down inside, I'm still kicking rocks. Yeah. I mean, and you will be, you probably will be for a while and, that, and that's understandable, of course. But like, yeah. I, I do that too, where like, I can think about not just moments, like positive moments where like, you know, I got the thing and, and that took me on a different path, but moments where I didn't get the thing. And that down the line led me to something else that wouldn't have happened if my path had changed. So it's like, when you can look back, you know, 10 years, yeah. however many years later and sort of look at it that way, it, it really does like, I'm not a, a hugely religious person. I'm definitely a mm-hmm. spiritual person, like believe in, in things beyond just what we see, but it, it definitely makes you feel like there is like a destiny or a fate, you know, like there is some right. type of hand guiding you. So Lewis, you had mentioned, um, you know, bumps and bruises along the way, you know, you, you went to college, you get your degree. I'm, I'm curious about that. Cause I feel like that's, that's the part then, right? You're out of school, you're looking for parts. Like what was that like for you? Those early days trying to, establish yourself as an actor and like still have to pay the bills and all of that. What were you going through? A lot of learning curves, a lot of learning curves. And one of those had was my ego. You know, I had a, not, not necessarily an ego in the context of I'm the shit. um, But an ego in the sense that because I may have landed a role or two, that that automatically meant that I was promised something in the future. So a lot of the, 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 preliminary things that I had to do in college, whether it's like theater, uh, anything dealing with, with production, I really wasn't all the way committed because I had this hot shot attitude of, I was on law and order and I'm in college. I was on this and I've done this. And, you know, I had this, uh, <laughs> this theater professor by the name of Julia Moreau. And I never forget this man. Cause I, w- I was this, big shot on campus uh, because of some of the projects that I've done. And I also uh, was, you know, in the music field, I, I used to rap as well. So I had a big name for myself. And I remember one day she pulled me to the side and was like, listen, this unprofessional stuff that, that you're doing because you think X, Y, and Z or somebody, I'm pulling you out of this play. So I was doing a play where I was the lead and she pulled me out of the play. And I remember oh, no. my jaw dropping, but that was the best thing that could have happened to me because I, I got a lesson early. That no matter what it is that you're doing, big, small, you always got to treat everything with the most importance, right? You got to have other people in their best interest just as much as they have you in their best interest for bringing you on board. So I really had an I mentality and not a we mentality. I remember calling my boy's mom and talking to her about what happened. And I was on the phone, boo-hooing, like, yo, I got pulled out of this play and it's my last year of college. and, you know, she she gave me some strong words of encouragement and um, it uh, it definitely cheered me up. And I, and I learned the lesson. I, and, and I'm glad that it happened at an early age, because, again, this was not a, a business or a field that my mom's and my dad knew anything about. I was coming up with people who are big names now that were in those pre- preliminary stages. So I didn't really understand the, the ethics or the. Um, the uh, the do's and the don'ts. And so that was one of my learning curves in terms of the bumps and the bruises. And then once I graduated out of college, man, that's really when the, the, the hustle and the grind began. 
it was pretty rough because I'm not sure if you guys remember, I graduated school in 2005. I went to uh, Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I stayed out there for about a year and a half. And when I came back to New York, that's when the strike had happened. I don't know if y'all remember that back around. Like, oh, strike or the SAG strike? It was both. It was like a writer's strike and, and, and a, a SAG strike at the same time. And so there wasn't a lot yeah. of work for Blacks and Hispanics. And the writers felt like they were just being cheated. So, uh, And if you notice, that's what had caused the shift. Because a lot of the movie celebrities, they came back to TV. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we a lot of the, the Don Cheetos, the, the Nia Longs, the Lorenz Tates, the, the, the um, what's my brother's name? Uh, Terrence Howard. Mm-hmm. These these guys were, in, you know, they did TV in their earliest stages, but they were in the comfortable setting of film. Right. And then they automatically made that transition because they weren't getting booked like that. Yeah. So that lasted for about, I want to say, two and a half, three years. And, um, you know, of course, I had to work a nine to five, you know, in order to, to stay balanced and maintain. But luckily for me, I was working with a, with a company um, out of CUNY called the uh, Creative Arts Team, where it was basically uh, an educational theater program where we would use theater to talk about social issues. Oh, so nice. we would go into the high schools and the middle schools and in even some prep, uh, college prep schools. And we would just use theater to talk about whether it be HIV, you know, teen pregnancy, you know, homelessness. We'll, we'll, we'll create these these dramas and then create a Q&A where the audience can interact with the actor. So when you're asking a question, you're not asking Lewis, you're asking if I play Tom, you're asking Tom the question. Mm-hmm. And we would just interact. And so I did that for about, uh, you know, five, seven years, you know, so. Yeah, that's a tough grind having the nine to five and, and you know, still trying to find roles and, and be able to do that also that I feel like that balance is what sort of trips up a lot of people. Yeah. And also it's the psychological factor too, because, you know, this is not a race. And that this was something that I had to learn mm-hmm. um, through the years because people blossom in different stages. But one of the tough factors were grinding, struggling. And then you see the people around you that you've been around and they're coming up. And then next thing you know, they're regular on this TV show. Next mm-hmm. thing you know, they landed this major... And you kind of, you know, you're happy for them, but then you start feeling like, damn, when is it, when is it my turn? Yeah. Am am I not good enough? And, you know, that's a whole nother, another reality. And I've been there plenty of times, you know, the auditioning process and the the politics. And I remember one time I was getting ready to quit. I was getting ready to throw the towel in. And um, I called one of my homeboys. We was chopping it up and he was like, yeah, what's up with so-and-so? And so I'm like, man, the hell with this business, man, X, Y, and Z. And he was like, nah, man, you can't quit. You know, he's a writer. He's a producer. Shout out to my brother, Paris Jones, actually my business partner. We have a company called uh, Paris Films. So mm-hmm. we're a production company. Shout out. Then, shout yep, out. Yeah. yeah, big shout out. So prior to that, I was getting ready to throw in the towel. And I remember he said, listen, I got something for you. You know, so he actually wrote a TV pilot for me where mm-hmm. I was the lead because he didn't want to see me quit. So we, we came up with this uh, project called The Inner Circle where it was basically about a, uh, a group of individuals that were dealing with addiction. And uh, the, the, the essence of the story takes place at an actual rehab. So you got one addicted to drugs, one addicted to uh, alcohol, one, whether it's pornography, whatever the case may be, we all come together and we're sharing our story. So we're actually in the process of, of pitching that project right now. But what I learned from that is that as long as you're always waiting for an opportunity to come, 
you'll experience more, you'll experience more downs than up. And so that put me in the frame of mind of just, you know, being proactive, taking the initiative to tell your story and create that magical role that all actors are waiting for. Right. Yeah. Every actor is waiting for the role, but it's you up against a million people. So you got to you got to basically know your range uh, and create things for yourself and make it happen for yourself with a team, of course. Yeah. I have to I have to speak on that real quick because so me and Lou had a conversation a while ago and it was pertaining to this. And I expressed to Lou that projects that I had already, you know, shot and, and produced, I didn't call him because Lou's so dope. I'm like, Lou, you won't fuck with me on this. Like Lou is, you know, he got shit going on. And he was like, look, sis, like when you got something, call me. And that also happens that we don't like our whole spectrum is like, I felt like it was a plus that you agreed to play Steve because mm. my whole actor was bugging. So um, Steve is a character from my story, one um, best, best short screenplay uh, a couple of years ago. And Lewis is one of three stars who are in, it's more, it's like a, it's like a collective, but he's one of the three main characters and written so by like, Shakisha, by the way yeah shout out to Shakisha. <laughs> let's mention and you did you produce also i know you I didn't did. direct i, I, re- yeah, I wrote produced. an executive produce so even getting him for that i was like oh that's cool so a lot of times people are a little gun shy about certain things because of your level of experience they're like you're not gonna fuck with me on this little ass mm. <laughs> short project <laughs> So I guess the the takeaway is never feel like somebody wouldn't want to work with you again, especially if you had an amazing experience. I want to piggyback on something that you mentioned. The best actors are the ones that don't pass up opportunities based on hmm. budget, right? Because a lot of some actors yeah. feel like they're so big that they're scared to kind of say, you know what, let me rock with this person because I see the potential. And I feel like that's a lost art that that's no longer present in entertainment. Like even in the rap industry, you remember at a certain point in time, there was what they call an A&R. Mm-hmm. You had these, these, uh, these, these um, execs or whoever that they saw potential in a rapper. Mm-hmm. The rapper was not all the way there, but they took the time to groom and, and, yeah. and season. And, and through time, people develop. We live in this microwave stage where if you don't bring the full package, totally. it's almost like you get oh dismissed. Gosh, yeah. You understand? So when I saw my story, I saw that it was a timeline period. What the hell do I look like judging somebody because they don't got the budget? They don't got the budget because they're grinding. So I'm Mm -hmm. not going to dismiss you because you're you're trying to do the best that you can with the little that you have. And so for me, you made six figures. What are you saying? You made what six I'm, figures off of my story. Stop telling people. You know that. what I'm saying? We were balling. You know what I'm saying? We had craft. We had crafty. On crafty. No, but uh, no, caviar no, at the at the release. Not, right. I did not use Snap to buy food for set. I did not. Right. We had Olive Garden every day. B. No, no, stop. But but no, I just feel like you, you know the, the the actors who have really prospered are actors that have done films that weren't necessarily on the biggest scale. So, you know, you look at Leonardo DiCaprio, what eat, what's eating Gilbert's grape. That was one of his best performances, but was that a box office hit? Absolutely yeah. not. You look at Michael B. Jordan, who was a regular on the wire, right? I'm sure that pay was serious for him because he played several seasons, but then he does Fruitvale Station, million dollar project nonetheless, but it still wasn't what he was used to, like a film like Red Tails. So 
as actors, we can't make decision on projects based on budget. We have to see the the potential on what the story is and who's the team that's back in the story. I was thinking it's funny listening to both you guys talk. So Lou, you had mentioned, you know, a while ago you would about like sort of needing to figure out how to check your ego as an actor, like first getting off. And I feel like there's a balance there. Right. And like, kind of, as you guys were talking, I, I sort of came upon this idea that like Lou was talking about like needing to be able to check his ego. And I think you have that with like, like you said, like t- being willing to take roles, um, not because they, you know, they have a huge budget, but because you believe in in the project or, you know, you think it's right. a better opportunity, but at the same time, like, I feel like Shakisha, you were sort of like lacking ego by being afraid to ask Lou initially to be part of it. So what it's emerged, like, right? Right. Like it's like this weird because like let's be honest, we're all creatives. Like ego is part of it, right? Like I have a big ego and I know it and I know I've learned how to like manage it and and put it in check. And I'm sure you guys probably feel the same. So it's like you kind of have to have that to do the work. But it's mm-hmm. it's like I feel like that's a lesson every creative needs to learn at some point is like you need to figure out how to like have this and channel it the right way and let it destroy you. Yeah. Because like it it can go the other way too. Like you were saying before Mm -hmm. Lou and like completely destroy you if you let it. So it was, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think like it's a, it's an ongoing struggle to find that balance with your ego, you know, and to know when to use it and when to, you know, check it. Right. Right. Um, I, I, you kind of mentioned, you know, like, there's a, like a generation of actors right now where some of those, I don't even want to say values because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to date us and put canes in our hands and you youngsters, you have no, I, I don't want to do that, right? But at the same time, there is kind of the Zs and the younger side of, I'll say the younger side of millennials, but like definitely the Zs, it's very show and tell, you know, so being on Instagram is meaningful and, and popping those likes and, and things like that. Some of the stuff that you learned over the years, what is something that you would pass on, you know, to a younger actor actually like doing it now um, may not have had the opportunities that you have had. What would you get? What kind of advice would you give them in order to keep them, you know, motivated? I would say know the business. I didn't really start making progress until I really learned the mechanics and the fundamentals of the business side of acting. Everybody wants to jump in front of the camera, but the business helps people set up their future. One, it helps you to broaden your horizon. If you would have told me five, six years ago that I would be an executive producer and I would have, I would be a producer now, I'd be like, man, you crazy. I don't care nothing about that. But that's because I didn't have the know-how. And when you start carrying those type of titles, I can assure you that the conversations with casting directors, the conversations with directors or other producers, whole different ballgame, whole different level of respect. And it, 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 it helps you to understand that things ain't personal. And I'm going to give you an example, right? And, and this comes from knowing the behind the scenes. I, I live in the hood, by the way. So if you hear that sirens, that's what that is. <laughs> We've had sirens on the show before. No worries. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> heard, it's just part of being a New York show, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the big apple for you. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. 
in that period where I was frustrated with the whole, damn, you know, I'm not booking nothing. And of course the rejection and X, Y, and Z, you know, you, as an, some actors, we get self-conscious. We start thinking, damn, I'm not good enough. Well, I don't look this way. I remember I, I reached out to a friend of mine who's a great mentor, um, kind of shared with him what's going on. He was like, yo, Lewis, look, you're a phenomenal actor. You just got to stay in the game. A lot of the reasons why you think you're not getting cast, that's not necessarily always the reason. So I thought he was, you know, of course, that's my boy. He's going to tell me, you know, you're a phenomenal actor. So I, I was like, yeah, I hear you, man. So he's like, listen, do me a favor. So there was this film that was being cast. I'm going to leave the, uh, the, the, the film anonymous, but it was pretty big film. And he told me, I want you to come into the audition. I got some great relationships in that room, but you're not going to audition. You're just going to audit the room. So you're going to be sitting with the casting directors, just stay in the cut, keep quiet, and then just watch and listen to the conversation that takes place once the actors leave out of the room. And I never forget this. This female comes in. She was off book. They told her, go. Oh, my God. When I tell you she blew the character away, she did a phenomenal job. I was there. I was there like, yo, she got the role. And, you know, everybody looked at each other. They didn't give her any notes because she nailed it. The minute that girl walked out the room, one of the people that was doing the casting said, you know, I didn't like her nose. You know, she looked a little too small. So they, their decision was everything but the acting. And my partner looked at me and he says, see, this is the other side of the game. When these folks are casting, they're looking for chemistry. How do these two actors work well together? How do these two actors look good together? Mm. You know, you might be the co-star or supporting, but you might be taller than the lead. So cosmetically for the camera, you might be upstaging the lead and that might not be good for the writer and the director. Yeah. So when I started learning that aspect, it took like 40, 50 pounds of weight off my shoulder because I was just like, man, I'm no good. But, you know, once I saw that, I'm like, man, I can hang with the big boys. It gave me more confidence. Like, shit, it ain't my acting. That's just these folks being cherry picking the, the perfect specimen of what they're looking for to represent their project. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, what a great lesson if you're if you're someone out there struggling in the business right now. They're like, remember that it's not always personal or about you or about, you know, the, the performance that you gave. Lou, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been awesome. Uh, I did want to ask you one more question, but you know, I was reading, you had mentioned Paris Films Project before, and I was reading <laughs> up about that. You know, the mission said that what you guys want to do is make meaningful art or, you know, invest in and bring that, you know, bring attention to that, bring light to that. I'm curious what that means to you in 2021. Like, Making meaningful art, I think, is what we're all striving for, right? But, like, what does that look like for you in a world where we're having all these conversations about race, about gender, about, um, you know, the political systems around us? Kind of everything's out in the open right now. So what, what do you think that looks like in this time? Well, I think it's exactly that list that you, that you just gave. It's just like, you know, being able to touch with uh, the current state of what's going on now in society and producing those projects that people can relate to, they can identify with, and they can bring healing or it can bring some type of therapy for individuals. You know, um, I'm, I, I was blessed to have come up under a, a great, um, some great teachers, man. And one thing that they were always big on was we have a duty as artists 
to use the arts as a learning tool, as a healing tool, mm-hmm. and something that can raise the consciousness of the people at least a degree higher. When you produce those type of projects, then we feel that we've done our job. So we at Paris Films, we love doing the the projects that push the envelope, kind of address the elephant in the room, and really, you, you know, let, let's talk. And and that's what great films, great music is designed to do is, mm-hmm. is to spark conversation and really spark change that we're hoping to look at. So we've also parted up with other people that have done the same thing. So kind of going back to the whole identifying potential in folks, uh, you know, shout out to my to my homegirl, uh, you know, Paige Austin. Uh, you know, this is a she has a, a project called Meeting Boone, which I'm starring in. And I'm also the um, the executive producer. So she is a faith based writer, but her style of writing is a little bit more edgy. And some of the issues that she's bringing are some real stuff that people can identify with, you know, and not, and, and not to knock anybody else who, who's not in that lane, because different strokes for different folks, right? But we just feel like we have a responsibility to uh, just put work out there and put content that we know that lasts long. So when you look at a lot of these films that people are trying to recreate or they're trying to make, uh, you know, uh, they're coming up, coming to America part two, or they're trying to remake this movie from the eighties and the nineties, they're trying to capture an energy or a feeling that was relatable to the time based on what was going on. So we feel that we are going to produce the type of projects that are um, time capsules, if you will, that's a reflection of the time in which we're living in now. We have another project that we're actually getting picked up by a uh, major network. I'm not at the liberty to speak on that network now because we're in the uh, contractual phases with the attorneys, but we, we have a project called Rudolph, where we basically took the story of the reindeers, of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeers, and we humanized them. So now they're going to, so Rudolph, along with his other reindeers are going to be an inner city basketball team from Detroit dealing with some <laughs> social issues. So we got nice. that on the rise as well, man. Rudolph got game. He can play. Man, you got to watch the film. That knows the wonders, <laughs> man. You know what I'm saying? Man. I love it. Well, Lewis, you know what? I got two, you got two more minutes and I have to ask you, what do you, what are your thoughts on Latin X um, or Latino, um, content now like i I know there's been a a big discussion on specifically afro-latina well i'm saying afro-latina because myself but you know afro-latin um stories and how they're told and authentic and like covering the bases of color and all of that what what are your thoughts on on where it's going um in terms of where it's going um what are your hopes let's let's put it that way what are your hopes man my hopes is that there's there's levels to this and there's layers to this, right? When when dealing with our people in the community, I, I'm gonna use Tyler Perry for example, right? Folks who follow Tyler Perry have entertained his 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 projects. They love what he does, but there's another demographic that they don't not that they don't necessarily like his stories, but they feel like that that his stories usually cater to one specific demographic of those in the faith based world. I'm trying to make the correlation here. So with uh, with the with the Latino community and in terms of the content, I hope that we're able to touch on stories that is not the norm of what we've seen already. Mm-hmm. There's a whole, you know, I was just talking to a partner of mine and I was saying, yo, it would be dope to make a film on the 
arrival of the Dominicans that came to New York City, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to Washington Heights, how did yeah. that develop? Mm-hmm. You know, you hear the story of Alpo, Rich Porter, and but in that story, you hear how much of the interactions they had with the Dominicans that was taking place. What what happened in that in in that drug era? You know, with a lot of the families and how did the bodegas come about? We never really get into those backstories. So I think that there's there's a plethora of of stories and realities that we can make known. I just hope that somebody's willing to kind of just step out of the comfort zone, if you will, to push the envelope. Lewis, this was awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Ryan, thank you so much, man. You know, I'm, I'm old school with it. Can I give some shout outs, man? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do your thing. <laughs> Man, I want to give a big shout out to the homie uh, G Malik Linton. He's the uh, director of the film that I did with uh, Keanu Reeves called Exposed. I want to give a big shout out to my little sister. She's on the come up. Remember her name, Paige Alston. Uh, The actor, Sean Vaughn, Nunu Thurman. Remember the name, Nunu Thurman. I'm telling you, she's going to blow people out the water. My business partners, uh, Paris Jones, uh, Andre Ray. Um, Mark Rodriguez, man, we got some special things coming to the table. So be on the lookout, Paris Films, Luis Martinez signing out. That's all for another episode of Shakisha and the White Boy. Thank you so much to today's guest, Luis Martinez, my man, Luis Martinez. I like how he ended his segment by doing shout outs. You don't see that anymore. You don't see the shout out, but I, it's, it's inspired me now and I wanted to, Offer it up to you as as well, Shakisha. Do you have any shout outs you want to do before we get out of here today? Shout out to my daughter Kamora attending Montclair State this year. Oh, hell yeah. Major. Uh, Shout out to my old school squad who used to be up at 708 Third (laughs) Ave. Um, Shout out to the hubby, Dwayne, and most certainly shout outs to you and Kate. You guys are an amazing couple, so inspiring. Just good, just good people. Good to be around. And I miss you. I like miss being in your energy. So shout outs to y'all. Oh, I love it. I love it. I I am like, love the shout out. So uh, nice to bring it back for once. You know, I don't know if we can, I don't know if you and I are going to do shout outs at the end of everything. That's not really our bag, baby. But hey. (laughs) Lou Lou inspired me. Before we get out of here, let me give another shout out to our guy, Berberak, the main man behind our theme music. You can find more of his work at www.berberock.com. That's B-R-B-R-C-K. No Folks, vowels. No vowels. That, that is a man who's like, fuck vowels. Folks, we asked you a couple times throughout the episode. I'm going to ask you again. If you got a question or you have a topic you'd like us to address on the show, please don't hesitate to send it our way. You can tag us on social or you can send it to us at Boy at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and follow us on the socials. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube. We've got a Twitter out there. So a lot of ways to connect with us and we want to, definitely want to be hearing from you. A quick note before we sign off for today, we are off next week for the holidays, so there will not be an episode next week. Shakisha, happy birthday to you. A birthday you, turn up month is here. Until next time. Peace, y'all. <laughs>